Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 26. And as of this recording, we've officially been recording for six months of this podcast. How Woo. how are we feeling about about that milestone? How are we feeling about chapters nine through twelve, gentlemen? I did not realize we had six months. That's pretty impressive. I'm uh feeling really good. It went by quick, which is a good thing. Um I can bet you were feeling good about it. was that a wink in the intro, Trevor? That was Did I wink? Yes, you you winked. You should play it back later. Definitely winked. <laughs> I was watching. Yeah, six months has been awesome, guys. This has been this has been a blast. Yeah, I've actually been really really happy with everything we've done so far. So thanks for thanks for coming this far, and here's to the next six months. We are just beginning. Mm-hmm. Six months with like one book down. <laughs> <laughs> One book and twelve chapters of the second. Eh, Thirteen if you count the prologue. One book and one part. One yep. book and a part. All, yep. all of part one, yeah. Yeah. All right. Talk to me. What are your two words, guys, for chapters nine, ten, eleven, and twelve of Words of Radiance? So mine, um, I have one shared word from last week. Um, one different one. I have confidence and persuasion. Last week I had fear and persuasion. This week I have confidence and persuasion. Okay. We're going to start banning you from doing that, Paul. No more <laughs> carrying over words. It's just too... I, I'm too good at thinking of words that apply to everything. Those are good ones. Those, yeah. are, those are definitely good ones. <laughs> Mine for these chapters were learning and monsters. Learning, monsters, confidence and persuasion all right let's discuss these monsters eh what what about what about monsters elliot well so actually for the record i know why you picked that word but go ahead and explain it anyway. I, I will explain it. And it's almost entirely because of one single page that I read in all of this. And that is that is chapter 10. And the depiction we get there of, of a monster. Although it's not entirely clear who the monster is or what the monster did. But there's definitely a monster somewhere. And then... In the Kaladin chapters, we st we're still getting some ominous foreboding, if you will, of monsters that are coming. Syl talks about how she's seeing red lightning spren on the horizon that that tell her something bad is coming, and we've been we've known for a while that something bad is coming. So those those monsters on the on the way. My second word was learning, and that was because both Kaladin and Shalon are doing. A lot of that in in these chapters. Shalon is is having to learn the hard way now how to do some of her soul casting and, and struggles to figure that out. Kaladin is trying to learn more about his abilities and his bridgemen are helping him try and buy exactly what uh, what's happening, what he's capable of. So that was why I picked learning and monsters. Nice. Uh Paul. 
Yeah, so I had persuasion and confidence. Confidence is mostly with uh, Shalon, as she is kind of forced to gain a lot of confidence uh, in order to com- convince her old friend of luck of to take her to the Shattered Plains. And it takes a great deal of confidence, and she kind of bucks up there in the moment. Um, and also persuasion was my one that was partly for that moment as well as her running with a stick and, um, yeah, there's kind of a lot of persuasion going on throughout these chapters, even with the Kaladin chapters. Um, I am a stick. Let me tell you, there are plenty of Stormlight Archive memes that involve I am a stick. And it's all from that <laughs> one page because people think yes. it's very funny. It was a good page. All, all I could think as I was reading that section was, I am Groot. I just imagine that stick as baby Groot just saying, I am Groot. Yep. There's no, like, you must change. I am Groot. There's <laughs> a meme. That maybe I can find it. I'm putting it on the screen now, but it's Shalon talking to the stick and it's baby Groot. And Groot is talking yep. back to her. I I am Groot. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's all I can think of. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty, but before we get to that Shalon chapter, we'll get there here in a, here in a little bit. Chapter nine is Kaladin, and we can talk about Kaladin for a little bit. We haven't talked about Kaladin in at least a week. We didn't talk about him last week. Any any thoughts on this chapter? They bring the Bridgman. Teft picks two Bridgman, former Bridgman, from each bridge crew as to be kind of lieutenants or squad leaders or whatever you want to call them for their subsequent teams. And they're bringing them down here to train. And while we don't see that whole scene in this chapter, that's what that's what they're down here for. And then Syl and Kaladin kind of have a conversation back and forth any any first impressions on this chapter yeah i i definitely have some and uh my first impressions about kaladin here are actually about sill um (laughs) um when is paul not bringing up sill whenever he can (laughs) yes pretty much um my favorite part of most of the kaladin chapters kind of um anyways sill we learn a little more like a kind of a glimpse into her backstory almost like where she came from and why she's here kind of we kind of get a glimpse into that and i thought was super cool um you we also didn't know that it's like a risk for sprint to come out like she did uh, and she said she was the only honor sprint that left as far as she knows as far as we know which I thought was really cool. That also plays into my fact that I or my thoughts that I think I think that Zeth and Kaladin are not both windrunners. I think that kind of goes into that a little bit because I'm I'm still on this train assuming that each different order of the Knights Radiant has their own designated sprint. Um so that goes into that a little bit. But that as well as Kaladin and Sil's conversation. Um about whether or not there are others like him is is really cool. And those are my favorite moments from this chapter. 
going to Zeth real quick. I had the same thoughts as I read that section. I was I was like, wait, if there's no other honor spren that have come across or whatever, however you want to say that of entering into the the physical realm over from Shadesmar, I guess. Then yeah, what what's the case with with Zeth? Does that mean he doesn't have an honor spren? Does that then mean he's not for sure a windrunner? I I don't know. Casting some some doubt on my stance of them being different, and maybe some some more evidence for for your case there, Paul, that they they're different. For sure, and I so on that. I've I've thought about that a lot, and it's probably what I'm most interested in right now. Um, I think Zeth, he's obviously tied to his oath stone, and so I was actually thinking, now that we've gotten to see Pattern who is Shallan's spread. Pattern isn't bad, but he's not like, he doesn't seem near as good as like Syl seems. Syl seems like only good, I guess. Um, And Pattern seems like a little more chaotic and uh, not bad, but I mean, on the basis of like lies and like revealing things, like hidden things, and it seems a little more wishy-washy i'm actually wondering if zeth sprint is kind of the reason he's in his predicament what if he has to follow this because of his sprint and this sprint is what's like causing him to be linked to this oath stone and it's like it's way more forced like like that's the relationship almost like he's bound to it like on his life like he doesn't have a choice, and I'm wondering if that him not having a choice is coming from his sprint. Is my thoughts right now, which would explain why he does all the bad things he does, even though he's always seemingly not wanted to. Kind you of. S- you said that pattern was chaotic. That just made me think of the the nine grid of like still being like lawful good and pattern being yes. chaotic good and yeah. Yes, exactly. It, it's a good comparison, actually, because yeah. Sill seems very, very concerned about what is right and what is wrong. Pattern doesn't seem to care. I, we haven't seen a ton of him, so maybe that's a little unfair on him mm-hmm. so far. But he he seems a little less concerned about like what's right and wrong versus like what to do in the moment. Maybe so far, I don't know. Our bizarre kiddo, as we've defined him as. Yes. Is one bizarre Olaf? Kid. He's still Olaf in my mind. <laughs> it's some interesting comparisons. It's particularly fitting, actually, because when Kate Redding does his his voice, she kind of hums it. She's she's like, mm. Mm, "Yes," and then Olaf's <laughs> yeah. trying to sing everything in Frozen. Like, yeah, it's it is pretty good. Yep. So, I want to read a quote that actually concerns Syl and Pattern. And it's in, it's in this chapter. It's on page 131 for me. And it starts with Kaladin speaking. Sill, are there others like me? They kind of go back and forth a little bit. And then Sill finally answers him. Actually, no, this is Kaladin speaking. Sorry. So you've had plenty of time to think about a good answer, Kaladin said, folding his arms and leaning back against a somewhat dry portion of the wall. That makes me wonder if you've come up with a solid explanation or a solid lie. Lie, 
Sil said aghast. Kaladin, what do you think I am? A cryptic? And what is a cryptic? Sil, still perched as if on a seat, sat up straight and cocked her head. Actually, I actually have no idea. Huh. I think it's funny that Sil uses that as if it would be like a term of phrase that she would use. Like, what do you think I am, a cryptic? And she doesn't even know what it means. Like, as a reader, we know that it means what we know as lie spren for, for pattern. But Sil is using this term and then she's like, I actually don't know what that means. Sorry. <laughs> I think yeah. it's a very good Sil moment as we've coined them. I thought it was interesting on that on that note because because we do know like it was obviously intentional we know what cryptics are at this point um and she does and doesn't so she knows that she doesn't like cryptics uh but she doesn't remember who they are or why she doesn't like them right um which is interesting i i am guessing that had to do with her leaving shades more i guess and and coming to roshar so and that has it's another good example of just this fragmented memory that that Syl has and pattern seems to have as well where it's almost like intuition or instinct that she knows that she's supposed to hate cryptics but she doesn't even know what a cryptic is it, it's just it's interesting how she remembers some things but not others it's like she doesn't have the whole picture I'm really curious why that's the case and if like if crossing over was what caused that or I don't know. It also gives more credibility to Yasna's research. Yasna had figured out that there is spren politics and that honor spren and cryptics don't like each other. And so we've seen here now that Sil is an honor spren and she doesn't like cryptics. She doesn't know why, but she doesn't like cryptics. So mm -hmm. that that's going to be the finale of Words of Radiance, all out, drag out fight to the death between Syl and Pattern and Pattern and Shalana and, and Kaladin trying to break him up. Yeah, exactly. Epic ending, very epic. Yep, I can see it now. For, forget forget Kaladin Zeth interaction. Zeth, now yeah. we'll just go Small for potatoes. Go for pattern and sill yep yeah for sure do we have any guesses so <clears throat> assuming that i don't think i know enough about this to, to even make this guess um so now that we've seen i guess that sill is the only honor spren do we know what order the knights radiant we think zeth might be if he's not a windrunner what could he be? Well, I don't know. Maybe I do know the answer to this, but I can't. Uh, I can't guess. <laughs> just, just give it a wild guess, Trevor. Just. <laughs> okay. uh, I, I think he still is. I think Zeth still is a windrunner. There, there's still just too much similarity for me between the abilities that they have and the focus on the the oaths that they that they they give we, we've seen Kaladin give two 
oaths now. I don't think we've seen Zeth like give any, but so much of his like honor, so much of his identity seems wrapped around his being true to his oath stone. And that seems to fit too well with honor for him not to be a windrunner for me. But it, I, I would think he would have to have an honor spread then. So I, I think either Sill's wrong that there is another honor spread and she doesn't realize it, or maybe Zeth is some kind of anomaly where he's supposed to have an honor spread, but he doesn't. And maybe that's the the problem with him is he doesn't have that conscience, if you will, telling him what he's doing is actually wrong when he thinks it's right. I I think I'm stick. I'm going to stick with it. I think Zeth is somehow still a windrunner. I will. I'll, I'll say this. So. Our three-ish main characters that we've seen surge bind. We'll, we'll forget Yasna for now. Rest in peace. But we have too soon. <laughs> we have never forget Shalon, who has a lie spren. Kaladin, who has an honor spren, and honor spren detests lies. And we have Zeth, who acts like a windrunner, but he is truthless. Any thoughts? So, I think it just broke us both. Yep, I'm I'm, look, I'm looking at the I'm looking at both cameras. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the wheels are turning right now. So, my thought, what what I've been th- so, in all honesty, I feel like I can't make a solid enough connection because I honestly don't remember the like each each order well enough like the the details about them we haven't met any of them so it's harder to remember you know the ones we haven't met we know i guess light weaver kind of now and uh and windrunner mm-hmm. but since he's just so like ridiculous like he's kind of ridiculous zeth's character is so I want to say Dustbringer, just to throw it out there, because I don't remember much about Dustbringers, but I just know that they're kind of chaotic. Like They seem like the bad guys, almost. Okay. From what I remember about Zeth's personality, I don't think that's true. But You, you may have just offended all of our listeners who, who are, are Dustbringers. Dust yes, I, have, I think we... Apologies out there to all if, you Dustbringers. <laughs> I'm ignorant on the subject. Please do not take my my word. Uh, Take your anger out on Paul, not on me. No. <laughs> yes, I will. As a true skybreaker would say, make make sure the justice goes in the right place and, yeah. and, pu- and punish him, not me. Yes, yes. true skybreaker, yeah. sir. <laughs> Alrighty. So, Elliot, Paul didn't have this. Uh, this experience, but maybe he did when he was listening to it. But as you turn the page from chapter nine to chapter 10, at this point, you're used to 11, 12 page chapters, 13 page chapters, and sometimes even longer. But as you turn the page, you see in my book, it's not even a, yeah, it's not even a full page of a chapter. And on the audiobook, it's what, two minutes and 50 seconds or so of audio. And what, what was your reaction to this very short chapter? 
I was pretty surprised. Uh, we had a couple short-ish like Kaladin flashbacks, I think, back in Way of Kings, but they were still at least, you know, four or five pages. So to to flip the page over and see the entirety of one chapter, yeah, right there in front of me was was kind of like odd. And then as I go, I think I mentioned this before. I, I highlight things that I want to talk about as I go. I highlighted every single word in this entire <laughs> chapter. There is so much packed into this. I have just as many notes on this one page as I do on the entirety of chapter nine that we, that we just talked about. There's so much here that intrigues me. This was, this was way different. I'm glad I didn't think that hard into it. There's definitely a lot of stuff to talk about, but uh, I'm curious to hear Elliot's thoughts. So I did not, I was just listening through, you know, I heard chapter nine, here comes chapter 10. I didn't like look to see the time or anything. Sure. But then it was like two minutes and it was like chapter 11. And I was like, excuse me, <laughs> like, <laughs> what do you mean? Um, so it was kind of funny, but yeah, I'm, I'm honestly really curious to hear Elliot's thoughts on this chapter. Let's give it a little Maybe. context before, before Elliot jumps in. It is our first flashback Shalon chapter that we've had. The only context we've had for Shalon's past before this was an interlude from her brother. And that's the only time back in the way of Kings, like the first sets of interludes was Shalon's brother. And that's the only, only other thing we've had set in Yaakovet. And this is the, our first flashback Shalon chapter. She's grown up in Yaakovet. So it's not much, but Elliot, what do you got? So this was a kind of terrifying chapter, honestly. I'm I'm really scared, honestly, to know what has happened to Shalon in her in her past and to know that it's her father who is likely the source of a lot of fear and a lot of hurt that is has come to Shalon and that even just thinking about that like gets my blood boiling a little bit. So to have a, a quick glimpse into that world is is scary honestly to to read it and i i appreciated the the time frame it says very clearly six years ago so that that's very helpful that's that's right about the same time as gavilar's assassination mm -hmm. and so we, we can kind of put that in into context with the, the history of it all so that's that's helpful we see what i'm going to classify as a murder scene or, or a, a crime scene. So we're, we're going to do a little bit of, of crime scene investigation, Roshar, if you if you will. And okay. Try and, try and piece together what, what happened here. We have young Shalon, who six years ago, Trevor, I think you said last episode that Shalon is supposed to be 19? I think I misspoke. I think age. she's actually supposed to be 17. 17. Okay. okay. That would make... You definitely did say 19. I, I did believe. say 19, but I believe she's actually supposed mm -hmm. to be 17. At least at the beginning it of the Wave Kings. It says 11 here in this chapter, so that would be that would make sense then. 17-year-old Shalon, six years ago, is, is 11. Okay, so we have 11-year-old Shalon here in this chapter. She's terrified by something that's happened. Her father picks her up, says, pretend it never happened. Then we learn that there's the body of a woman and the body of a man here, and they're both dead. The man has bled. The woman has not. 
we see that the where we looks like the woman is Shalon's mother, and she's laying face down specifically so that Shalon cannot see the eyes, and Shalon specifically thinks the horrible eyes. And so my first thought there is that Shalon's mother has been killed by a shard blade. We've seen before that shard blades burn. That, that first off, they kill with no blood. They pass through flesh, and it's almost like they they cut through the soul of a person instead of the actual body of the person. So correct, no blood. Eyes that are horrible. We don't get a description of like burned out, but this seems very much in line with a a shard blade death. But the man has bled, and so he has been murdered by not a shard blade, a traditional method if you will so <laughs> your, your normal method of you old, know old school, <laughs> right. old school yeah, method. exactly oh no i just lost my spot um the so okay so we have her mother who's been killed by a shard blade and we have another man we don't know what we've kind of been assuming or i've been guessing at this point that perhaps in this time shallan's father still has the shard blade and that shallan gets the shard blade from him when he dies that's all a bit of a guess. I don't have any evidence for that right now. But that would point to Shalon's father killed her mother in the presence of another man. Perhaps I, the only thing I can think of here is maybe he caught her in like an affair or something. But the man was not killed by the shard blade. So that doesn't really make sense. He was killed somewhere else. Did like her mother kill this man and then her father killed her because she killed the man i honestly can't really piece together what all is is going on here and then as if there wasn't enough packed into this chapter where when i i think i've gotten my mind wrapped around at least who's dead and maybe who did it now we get a reference to his strong box and as they're leaving the room there's a description of this strong box that's containing something powerful Shalon even thinks there's a monster inside there, but we get this light that's emanating from this box. So maybe a monster in the box that did the murdering? I'm I'm really confused, really intrigued. I feel like I've learned something important, but I just can't pee. Paul, did you figure out more than I did? Please don't ask me. Let me um, let me jump in real quick. Okay. I feel like I've it. I feel like I've learned something important, but I don't know what it is. Is classic, exactly. classic Brandon Sanderson writing. Like, I feel like it's right in front of me, and I'm trying to understand what's exactly. happening here, but I have no idea. Yeah, it's got some like eerie Pandora's box sentiment about it. Like, it's 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 really weird. It's also just it's like really creepy scene. Oh yeah. Because obviously Shalon is very like, upset. She's like eleven and crying about what happened. Um, and the dad just like it's like a horror movie, like actually yeah. like a lullaby kind of thing and and stuff like dark, eerie, the, ominous. Like the line that really really got to me, especially in my first couple of reads, was Shalon asked herself, "Is the room shaking?" No, no, I'm shaking. I'm the one that's shaking. Like that's, I, I, I hate that line. It, that just makes me like a, an 11 year old girl being that like afraid and she can't blink. Her eyes are like completely open and shocked. Like she, that, I don't know, gets my skin crawling. And, and the fact that 
it, it does. It, it gets your skin crawling. It's exactly right. And where we're kind of seeing this from Shalon's perspective, and so we're not, but we're not getting the whole story, but she knows that her father is a monster. So clearly he's just done something. I'm assuming it's murder her mother right in front of her that Shalon knows I should be terrified of this man. But at the same time, she lets him carry her out of the room, singing her this terrifyingly creepy lullaby the whole time. Like, oh my. On that lullaby, by the way, I thought that was rather ingeniously written by Brandon Sanderson because it was it was perfectly soothing and creepy, just like a lot of nursery rhymes are. Yeah. If you think about it. Go sing the rockabye or what is it? Ring around um, the rosy. Ring around the rosy. Ring around the rosy. Jack and Jill go up the hill. Read into that one a little bit. Um yeah. there's another yeah. obvious one. I don't know whose idea it was, you know, way back then to to, to make these don't What's what doesn't make sense? What's the one yeah, where the all... crib falls out of the tree? That's what I'm thinking of. It's rocket yeah, ride, baby. In the treetop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, that, what what a, what a perfectly whose written whose idea was this? Right. What a perfectly lit, written little Rochar version of a creepy but kind of soothing. You could totally imagine this being yeah. sung, you know, over a crib for a kid. But when you actually mm-hmm. look at the words, it's like, oh man, yeah. Yeah. All right. That that was my take on chapter 10. Plant your plant your flags predictions time. What actually happened? I want to I want a definitive prediction from oh, each no. of you. A definitive one or like a general What <laughs> what do you got? Um You could be wrong, could be right. What, what so do you think? So my initial thought actually, which I think is really ridiculous, was that something happened and Shalon killed something. That was my thought. Okay. And I think I'm going to stick with that just because she she seems very traumatized by what happened. So it's either one of two things. Most common guess is probably she witnessed a murder. Second, and what I'm thinking is like, she was attacked or something and killed someone like in self defense, like out of fear, you know, um, and is now like traumatized, right? Um, so that's what I'm gonna go with, and maybe I don't know what could have done it. It's really grasping at straws here, but I think something happened and Shalon was maybe attacked by the the first man and like killed him and then the dad came in and had his shard blade and killed the woman you know and then carries her out elliot i have no clue i really have no clue that's such a far re- i actually don't believe that will happen but that's <laughs> what i'm going with all right i'm I, i'm where you're at paul in, in the sense that none of the scenarios i can dream up make full sense like n- none of it quite can piece all the way together because I, I agree with you. I feel like Shalon may have done some killing here. The, the opening line of this chapter is the world ended and Shalon was to blame. She somehow has a lot to do with what happened. It's, I don't think it's she was just a, a witness to something that happened here. She was involved somehow, but I don't know how because it, it maybe makes sense that, yeah, some man you know, broke in and attacked Shalon, 
her mother killed him, but for some reason that enraged her father, and her father killed her mother with the the shard blade. And Shalon saw the whole thing being involved. It doesn't explain the light in the box. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I have no explanation for that. I I wonder. I wonder if I think pattern has something to do with with what happened here. I think that pattern is either the thing in the box or is somehow involved with the thing in the box. We've just learned that Shalon has this ability with light. We've actually seen a couple dropped references of potentially her having this ability before. Um, I think, I don't remember which chapter it was. It might have been one from the ones from last episode, but just some mentions of like a young girl playing with light or something like that. I wonder if the thing in the box has to do with Shalon's illumination abilities and pattern and maybe th that's like she was messing around with those abilities and somehow like accidentally killed someone I, I don't know it doesn't even all make sense when you when you line it up so that's as close as i can come trevor to giving you a a, a prediction of what happened here i was just yeah, hoping i it actually could... go ahead paul yeah on that on that topic of like pattern i i was thinking about that as we were discussing that a little bit like pattern could very well have been there and also this could have been like shallan's you know fight or flight instincts causing her to maybe surge bind for the first time but didn't know what was going yeah. on um and maybe the the light in the box was her and maybe somehow that severe instinct maybe her you know light weaving powers can cause harm and maybe the woman who was killed was killed by shallan without a shard blade maybe like with soul casting and stuff it could still burn the eyes or however that whole thing goes being killed by stormlight if that's maybe the the method that causes that um or what but yeah we don't i don't know i i will give you a little soundbite trevor i will i will claim that shallan's father killed her mother i, I think i have enough here to predict that at least okay let me read two excerpts from this chapter they're real quick but they are they are important the first one you already read which was the world ended and shallan was to blame the second one is father gathered her into his arms and she felt her skin squirming no no this affection wasn't right a monster should not be held in love. A monster who killed, who murdered. No, she could not move. And, and that's the dilemma right there for me, because who is the monster? Is it Shallan or is it her father? And I can't tell. I can't tell. Right. See, if you... If you didn't say that just now, Elliot, I think I would have just, like, my initial thought was, Shalon's the monster, she's being held. But now I don't know. I didn't even think of that, but now I just don't know. And, <laughs> okay. All right. Moving on. <laughs> All righty. There's only, I mean, there's only so many words in the chapter. There's only so much information you have. Yeah, so we, <laughs> we've covered about every sentence. Yep. True. 
Oh, my baby dear. All right. Crime scene postponed till next time. <laughs> oh, man. I'm really excited for more Shalon flashback chapters, though. I, I too. I hope we get more more information because I really want to piece together what happened. Yeah. That'll be really fun to go off of, honestly, if we get any more tidbits. But not for right now. Fast forward to Shalon in the present day. And she has just survived a mutiny attack, whatever you wanna whatever you wanna call it. And she wakes up on the shores of Roshar and she's saved by a Santhet, which at the end of chapter seven, I believe it was, the uh she feels herself getting pulled down by something. And at the beginning of chapter 11 we we see that it, it was the sand that grabbing her in like a tentacle arm thing and dragging her to shore so any any thoughts on this on this chapter of shalon waking up the sand that is either just a really nice guy or he knows something we don't I'm intrigued now even more by the by the Santhid. Paul, I think you might have said before that you thought the the Santhid was going to be kind of a one and done kind of thing and and coming out of those chapters I I thought that was a good prediction. I thought that it was going to be symbolic of of something that we maybe sort of kind of understood, probably didn't and then maybe it was going to be a reference later on, but no, right away we see the Santhid save Shalon which seems kind of interesting. Why, why is the Santhid so concerned about Shalon? Why, why is it drawn to her the, the way it is? I, hmm. Maybe it recognized her from when she went diving. That's, that's my thought. But I don't know why I... <laughs> couldn't stop laughing for a second because I keep thinking of Free Willy. I don't know if y'all have seen those movies. Mm -hmm. But yeah. It's not super comparative, but I just think of like I don't know. Like it's her flipper, you know, like they're just <laughs> they're just pals. Like they just help so each other out. They've they've made a connection now. Yes, they're friends. Yeah. No, but definitely on a serious note, the the Santhid is a big mystery. It's just a big question mark. Um, we don't know if the Santhid is just like a weird, rare whale that just kind of you know, it saw Shalana was like, ooh, let me toss you around. Or like, I'm assuming because like we know that, or from what we know right now, the Santhid hasn't done anything else. So the Santhid has to either be attracted to Shalon. Maybe it's somehow correlated to the Spren. Maybe the Santhid is far older and wiser than we know. That's what I'm thinking at this point, now that we've seen this. Um, but it doesn't really make sense. My my only other thought on the Santhid is maybe it's somehow attracted to Shalon's abilities you know, the way that certain spren are attracted to certain events or emotions or, or things. Maybe the Santhids are just kind of in tune with 
like the illumination ability that she has. And so when she does that, she, you know, they're kind of somehow attracted to that. And so now it, it, it feels a little bit of a connection to her and, and wants to protect her or, or save her in what small way it can. All guess. That's very true. That's definitely the sentiment I get from it. Who knows? I certainly don't. Definitely uh, not. When she, I believe you. Yeah, I know, I know you do. When she finally hits land, and I don't know if you guys have tracked this on your map or not, at all, but on your guys' maps that you have near you, Carbranth is in the south center of Roshar. It's on the southern southern coast. And she's sailing around the southern coast and towards the east coast of Roshar to connect to the Shattered Plains from the east. And they get shipwrecked halfway through. So on your map, where is she? There. Which is? So on the map that I have, there's a city there labeled the Shallow Crypts. Okay. Um, but it's it's the, the Frost Lands in the, the midst of what seems kind of like nowhere, which is the impression I get from these chapters as well, that it's a bit of a, a wasteland, frozen wasteland kind of place. Yes. So I assume it's like the equivalent of northern Canada for us very cold very hostile she's she's shipwrecked here and all she wants is a fire all she ne all she needs is warmth because it is freezing cold on chapter seven it's described as the icy depths is what she's dragged into so very cold she's wet she's unconscious she wakes up she sees a fire unfortunately she doesn't get one um, because she can't convince a stick to turn into fire. The stick is very ineloquent, as as she puts it, and she cannot argue with a stick to become fire. This is a very enjoyable scene for me. What do you, what did you guys think? I think my favorite part about this scene. So she's trying to convince. Is she in shades more like with this? Yes. Also, so she's like in shades more. Has the stick is working to convince it to become fire, like how she convinced the boat to become water, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and so she's trying to convince it, you know, or incentivize it by offering it stormlight. She's like, I have this stormlight. I could give you some of this stormlight. And she's like, for things? Like, what does a stick use stormlight for? Like, what... <laughs> yep. What do you do with this? And she's like, yeah, I could give you Stormlight for, you know, stick things. Like, <laughs> you know, you want the Stormlight. I don't know why you want it, but please take it and become fire. Um, and stuff. And I thought that was hilarious. It, it seems such an odd magic system that in order to transfigure one, an object into another object, you travel into another world and try and make your case as to why that object should change from one right. to the other. And if you don't make your case good enough, the object's just going to be, nope, I'm a stick. I like being a stick, and I'm going to be a stick until uh, you convince me I shouldn't be a stick. And 
it just it just seems so funny to me that that's the method is she has to go have an argument with an inanimate object to try and get it to turn into fire it's very bizarre and uh yeah i i i'm wondering like is that really gonna be the reoccurring thing like anytime shalon needs to do anything she goes into shadesmar grabs it and is like please help like please change (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like it's not gonna happen every time surely there's a more well and think about yasna too like does does is that how she does her soul casting as well i mean we've seen her like in the scene in carbranth where they go into the alley and she soul casts the human beings into these other elements she seems to do that pretty instantaneously. It's not like everyone kind of pauses while we wait for Yasna to go have some arguments with Spren and, you know, make her case. Living. <laughs> just like... Right. Yeah. Right. And so either Shalon or not Shalon, Yasna is really good at that and is really well practiced at convincing Spren to become other things and can do it really quickly. Or maybe that's not how Yasna does it. Maybe hers is a little differently so i'm yeah i'm curious if this is how shalon is really supposed to be doing this and she just has to get better at convincing spren or if she's kind of doing it wrong i don't know it would be pretty entertaining honestly if this was the way to do it Uh, i took it on that aspect or on that avenue of thought um I don't know if time is the same when you go into shades more do we know anything about that because you were saying like yasna when they're in the alleyway and all that stuff, like going in, like, did she go into shades more and do that? Like in the blink of an eye? Cause that definitely didn't happen, but it is, I guess possible that she went into shades more, but there's like not a concept of time. And so, right. You know, all that gets blurry and stuff, but um, yeah, I think there's, there's gotta be a more direct way of soul casting. Um, if you remember, the first time Shalon ever soul cast that we've seen, she may have in the past, but the first time that we've ever seen was a goblet in her private rooms of Carbranth. And she doesn't have a conversation with it. She just accidentally touches it and it turns to blood. So it, it does say though, I'd have to go back and look. So I'm doing this off of memory in that chapter. The, the, the spren does say I will change or, or yes, somebody does. says, I will change. And so it's not like she had an argument with it to convince it, but something convinced it, or it was convinced that it needed to change. Right. It seems. Also on my first read, I thought it was very interesting that she didn't seem to have much trouble convincing an entire ship to change into water, but she's got a really hard time convincing a stick to not be a stick. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, that is. And I, I thought about that a bit because there seems to be a big difference in necessity. Like it talked about with the ship, how prideful it was. You know, it was very proud of its work it does for its crewmen, you know. Very, you know, happy, happy boat. Um, <laughs> and and in this case, it's just a stick. And I want you to turn into fire because I'm cold. Um, but in the other, she was like, you know, if you don't turn into water, all your crewmen that you love are going to like die and stuff. And so there's a, a big difference in the persuasion point. So um, it's kind of interesting. But yeah, I think 
that's definitely why it happened. Um, but yeah, it's kind of kind of strange still. Also, on my original read through of this, I thought it was it didn't make sense to me that a stick could have a single spren and an entire boat could have a single spren. Like what, what are boats made out of, you know, a bunch of wooden planks, like yeah. do the wooden planks not have spren and the stick does. I didn't, I didn't know how that worked. That's actually a great question. Cause if you think back to, to the prologue, Yasna encounters what is perhaps it's not clear, but maybe the spren for the entire castle like she she touches a spren or one of the spheres and she gets the impression of the entire castle. But that doesn't make sense because you'd think each individual element of the castle would have its own spren if Shalon is talking to a stick, you know, vase and statue and right stairway or whatever. So if you if you remember like in that. the prologue she does both. She finds the sphere of the entire castle, but she also finds the sphere of Talenalot's statue and a vase right. and a lamp. So she finds both. Right. Is it like all levels, right? So you could find the vase and the lamp and the statue in the castle. Could you find the city and the world? Like, <laughs> can you just convince the world Soul to like... cast the entire universe? Yeah. Exactly. He's got the whole world yeah. <laughs> in it. And <laughs> he got the whole. Literally. Sorry, that's what, yeah. that's what came to mind when you said that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that, that opens up a, an entire crazy realm of possibilities here. Yeah, I, I don't know how Spren work now. I was, thought I was starting to understand how Spren work, and, and now I feel like I less understand. Yeah, I understand it, but, um, you know. I'm sure you do, Paul. Sure you do. Yeah, I, I fully understand. Alrighty. Any closing... Oh, sorry. Chapter 11. She finally finds a fire, falls asleep in front of it, and wakes up with a bunch of slave traders around her. And when I listened to this book for the first time, I didn't realize that this was Tavlakov. Like, that's... They, they say his name, but... In this chapter, it's Kate Redding reading this chapter as opposed to Michael Kramer, who read Tavlakov's character back in The Way of Kings. So they have different voices for the same character, and I didn't realize that we'd actually seen Tavlakov before. Tavlakov is the slave trader that Kaladin, that, that Kaladin is under when we first meet Kaladin in the Shattered Plains. Tavlakov is a, a slave trader around the Shattered Plains. He finds a bunch of slaves, ships them, them to the Shattered Plains for to be bridgemen. That's his that's his trade. And we meet Tavlakov here, and he says, Well, we're done with the Shattered Plains. We are headed to the Shallow Crypts. We're on our way, we're on our way to the Shallow Crypts, and we are we don't have anything to do with uh, the Shattered Plains at all. And Shalon's like, Yeah, you do. Uh, I just happened to plop into your life and you're welcome. So now we're going back to the Shattered Plains. And Tavlok is like, okay, I guess we're going back to the Shattered Plains now. <laughs> Doesn't give up much of a fight to her. So any thoughts on meeting Tavlok again? I think it'll be really interesting whenever they get back to the Shattered Plains 
and we'll see, I guess, how that greeting party will be with the uh, Kaladin and crew. Um, but I did think that was really interesting and really funny. I think it's really cool how they brought that, brought Tavok up, excuse me, Tavok, Tavokov back. Should yes. I have put him back in our spell check since we have, it's been a while <laughs> since we've seen him? Probably. Apparently I can no longer say his name, much less try to spell it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm. It's one of those things that seems small at the moment. Like, oh, okay, welcome back, I guess. Um, but I might turn into something bigger. Um, we'll see. I, I've kind of just been under the impression that it's not going to be a major thing. It's just kind of a little crazy coincidence. Sure. Yeah, I, I can't just I can't decide if that's going to be important either. If that's just kind of a little. Easter egg callback to, oh, hey, remember this time when when Kaladin was here? I, as we're going to talk about here in a second, Kaladin's already encountering someone he maybe doesn't have some fantastic feelings towards. So, yeah, having Tavakov show up at the Shire Plains again may may also add to that <laughs> another person for him to not really want to encounter again. But my first thought on this was a little bit of fear for Shalon that uh oh, that, you know, the slavers are gonna take her as a slave and, and sell her as a slave but she brings up a good point which actually makes a lot of sense just given this kind of structure of, of society in Roshar and that they can't really do that because she's a light eyes and because she's so just by the color of her eyes has this societal hierarchy position they can't sell her as a slave because everyone's going to look at her and realize um, you have a noble woman how are you trying to sell her as a slave? You better be able to prove to me that you didn't just go kidnap her kind of thing. So just right. kind of the way their their society is built protects her in that way, which is kind of, it's very interesting, actually. It doesn't stop them this from just, also... it doesn't stop them from just robbing her, though. They could just True. rob her, but they don't. They, they've, from what we understand, they like to think of themselves as businessmen and merchants, as opposed to humble. Merchants. Yes, as yeah. opposed to slave traders. So they they at least think they have some some pride that they don't just mug her and leave her to die. And in this moment was the big reason why I chose my word of confidence because Shalon has had the internal struggle. In the before with the conversation of power with Yasna and like where does power come from and Yasna's like power doesn't isn't really that real you just kind of fake it till you make it almost and uh, and Shalon acts that out here she's like no like you're taking me to the shattered plains like I'm I'm super rich you know like you'll take me kind of thing whether or not she has the resources. Um, she's just kind of bluffing at the moment a little bit. Right. So and she was super nervous about it and did not enjoy the process, but that's why I took a great deal of confidence. Agreed. Now any closing thoughts on chapter eleven? I think I think we hit it. Okay. Chapter 12. 
Kaladin sticks Lopin to the side of a wall. You guys want to? You guys want to talk about this little scene? I know Paul wanted to talk about it, so I did. I did, and actually, actually, sorry. I think I do have a closing thought on chapter eleven, right? Quick. Sure. Um. So one thing I that just kind of popped into my mind. So Shalon told Tavlakov that he will be like greatly compensated for you know, taking her to the Shattered Plains, right? Right. Does she herself have the money to compensate him? She doesn't, right? Like, she's expecting to kind of get that whenever she gets there. Correct. I'm assuming. And so one thing that I just thought of that might become a bigger problem with Tavlakov is they're going to get there. She's going to be like, hey, like, by the way, I told him I'd pay him, right, because he helped me over here. Can we do something? Can we, you know compensate the the lovely man and Callan's gonna be like no he cannot like no thank you um and that might become a conflict that was my last thought that i just thought about so that that's a good point paul i didn't think about that i had i'd kind of been assuming that there was money in yasna's chest that she <laughs> found and that shalom was banking on that but yeah, maybe not. Maybe she is relying on the money she's going to get from the Colins when she gets there. And yeah, that scene is probably going to heavily depend on who greets her when she shows up. Does she meet Navani? Does she meet Dalinar? Because depending on who is in the reception party there, that's going to go down very differently. Very true. Yeah, that could that could be awkward. So yeah. While we're on the topic, it also brings up the question of is her betrothal still on now that Yasna's dead? Because Yasna's the one who arranged that. So as far as legality goes, is she still betrothed because there was no signature anywhere? Or is Adolin going to be interested at all? And because Yasna's not there to convince him, is that going to be a problem? Etc. That might turn into an interesting thing. So the whole the whole premise was like you're like kind of betrothed, but it's still like consensual. Like you know, Adolin still has to be okay with it. Um, but I don't I don't know how that's gonna go. Um, it might go okay. I, I have a feeling that Shalon and Navani are gonna become good friends. That's my it's my guess. I think that she will almost take over the social role of Yasna for her. Okay. Yeah, I'm curious what's going to happen there too. Because I envisioned it being Yasna who is going to be doing the Shalon meet Adolin. Adolin mm-hmm. meet Shalon. You're now engaged. Now that we don't <laughs> have Yasna to do that little introduction, yeah, is this going to get forgotten or brushed aside i don't know yeah someone just needs to tell adolin to bring some jam and then they'll be all good (laughs) some strawberry jam yes yes (laughs) that's the only hint he needs someone someone help him out um (laughs) yes but uh on on our our other chapter here chapter 12 with lopin being stuck to the wall that was that was very great him and rock having their own struggles hanging onto the wall. It was pretty funny. It was a very enjoyable, enjoyable, like happy chapter kind of. 
Yeah. Um, I, I really loved it. So to set- I, I can just envision Lopin just stuck to the wall there, you know, heckling them as yeah. they're, they're standing there, you know, watching their, their stopwatch. You know, they don't have a stop, stopwatch, but, you know, counting down the seconds of, you know, till Lopin falls off the wall. <laughs> very, very good little comedic relief here. Yeah. And this is also where they start to do more training with Kaladin's surge pointing abilities, which I think is a really cool scene. I think this would be super awesome in like a show, like a live action show, like we had mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, just like hearing the descriptions and the choreography of like Kaladin using his surge pointing to like stick people's spear to the ground and make them trip and like all, all this stuff. And everything and uh, i think that's super super cool really exciting if he sigzil is trying to test kaladin's abilities he's trying to put some numbers to it if if you will he's he's trying to see like if he sucks in one stormlight like one sphere's worth what does that do for him and if do do all the spheres carry the same amount of stormlight can he do the same things with each type of like each type of gemstone and he realizes that he doesn't have the materials with him he he doesn't have like he can't really count correctly like to the to the precision that he wants he can't he kind of gives up and says sorry for wasting your time i'm not doing a good job with this and lopin's like no 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 this isn't a waste of time all right fight me with everything you got and we'll see what you got and it turns into the three of them trying to uh, face down Kaladin and Kaladin realizing, wow, I can do a lot with this. I can, I can stick people to walls. I can make people trip. I can stick people to the floor. I can do all sorts of cool stuff. And rock actually, he's, he's shown his first kind of scene of fighting. He wrestles Kaladin and Kaladin realizes that he's, trained in wrestling so now we know that rock is a trained archer and a trained wrestler but he refuses to pick up a spear so we get some more questions about rock i suppose and some more questions about stormlight and what exactly you can do with it he's just trying to figure things out real quick on sigzil we got the hint in i think it was the wondersail chapter back in wave kings that sigzil's old master was hoyd mm-hmm. and we sigzil's made a couple references to his his previous master or something like that and he, he mentions again here in this chapter that the the method of investigation that he's been taught by his previous master and then that's where he kind of goes into this rather you know scientific approach of trying to measure these abilities and trying to quantify all this which they realize they can't do with the tools that they have but that that tells me actually a little bit about Hoyd, actually, that, that Hoyd taught Sigzil the scientific method, basically, of, you know, investigating, taking measurements, you know, drawing hypothesis or, or writing down a hypothesis and, and drawing conclusions based on your data. Is that something that Hoyd does a lot or is known for? I, I'm wondering if it might be. I actually did not remember that Sigzel was under Hoyd. 
That was in the Wonder Sale chapter, you said? I, I think it came because Hoyd gives Kaladin a flute, the flute that he was playing. And he says, you know, play this, I think, and Kaladin's like, I'm not gonna play that. And he's like, fine, give it to my give it to my old apprentice, Sigzil. And I think that was the reveal mm-hmm. of Sigzil being at some point tied to Hoyd in some way. That's okay. not that's not hundred percent accurate, but it's pretty close. He close he, enough. Okay. He gives him the he gives him the flute, and Calvin's like, "I'm not going to play this." And then Hoy turns around and says, "Look after my apprentice." He I tell him I graduate him. He's a full world singer now. And ah. Kaladin realizes, "Oh, he's talking about Sigzel." And then Kaladin says, "Oh, I'll just give him the flute." And Hoyt says, "No, you won't. The next time we meet, I expect you to know how to play it." And he hasn't touched a sense since we, uh, hmm. as far as we know. So there you go. There you go. Okay. So Kaladin still does have the flute, but we did, we did figure out that Sigsil and Toyd are connected. I don't know. I missed that or forgot or something, but that's pretty wild. Sigsil has been probably my favorite bridge crew member so far. So that makes him even more, even more exciting. Something I did think on that was I bet someone like Navani, the I forget what they call her now. Art of Fabrian. Uh, yes, thank you. So Navani the Art of Fabrian, she probably does have the right scientific tools to do, you know, some sort of calculation or study of surge binding and, and his abilities. So I, I do I am I would love to see Dalinar start to really flesh out his idea of reforming the Night's Radiant for Kaladin to reveal that he has these powers and then to get with Navani and really start to learn what he's really capable of. I feel like Navani might be the kind of missing piece there of the the scholastic knowledge that she has and the the scientific ability. All of that could really come together to really grow Kaladin's abilities even more would be really cool to see. He has to tell Navani about it first, though. He's he has still... to tell anyone not Teft about it, or yeah. these guys. He's still living in fear. Very true. So at the very end of the chapter, we get an interesting reveal for the end of part one. Uh, Amram is back. Oh, boy. So for those of you who don't remember, Amram is the, the Bright Lord who... Kaladin met back in Hearthstone. He recruited both Tien and Kaladin into his army. and Recruited. Yeah, enlisted. Whatever you want to mm-hmm. whatever you want to say there. A couple Invited months later... Politely. Yes. A couple months later, <laughs> Tien dies. A couple months later after that, Kaladin saves Amaram from a Shardbearer. And Amaram the next day kills all of Amaran, all of Kaladin's friends and takes Kaladin's shard blade. So this pulls up an interesting dynamic between Kaladin, Dalinar, and Amaram. Dalinar and Amaram are clearly friends. They've Dalinar has said that he's gotten a letter from Amaram, an old friend is what he says, and Amaram is going to solve some of his problems. He greets him as with the words old friend and this brings up an interesting dynamic because how how 
dedicated is Kaladin to his role of protecting Dalinar. He Has he made an oath, as far as Syl would define it, to protect Dalinar? Or has he just said, yeah, I'll, I'll be here for you, Dalinar, if you pay me? Because if he gets in trouble with Amram and like tries to go off Revenge of Amram, I don't. He's probably not going to keep his job, right? As a bodyguard, he can't just go kill some other light eyes that that down like or you know kill hurt whatever of that's a friend of Dalinar and keep his job, right? That there's there's some weird dynamics here. Any any thoughts here? Any predictions? It, this is certainly a problem a big problem for, for multiple angles. Like you're talking about Trevor, where does, where does Kaladin's loyalty really lie? And that's going to get questioned here. But even on the flip side, let, let's say Kaladin is 100% in on protecting Dalinar. He, he's 100% loyal to, to Dalinar. He knows that Amaram is willing to sacrifice someone who saved his life for his own personal gain. Dalinar has to be at risk of exactly that. We we've seen we know what Amram is capable of. Who's to say he's not gonna pull a Sadius and betray Dalinar at the moment when it's gonna benefit him the most? If I was Kaladin, I'd wanna make Dalinar aware of that. Is is Kaladin close enough to, to Dalinar to have that conversation yet? I feel like probably not. I I think Kaladin's gonna be in a really tough spot from this point on. For sure. I what I expect to happen and what I really hope happens is Kaladin has a big conversation with Dalinar like, hey, this guy kind of ruined my life. Like, we should talk about this um, as we proceed. Um, I'm afraid that Kaladin might not or might not do it in a good way because he seems to kind of jump to rash decisions sometimes. Not always, but... You know, I, he he's very driven by grief in a sense, and seeing Amaram might cause him to do something really stupid. So, right. yep. I I don't know what's going to happen. What I think what should happen, and what I hope happens, is a good conversation between him and Dalinar. But I don't know. Also, on the flip side, what if Amaram recognizes Kaladin? What will Amram be prepared to do to keep his secret? Exactly. And that's that's my biggest worry is that Amram is going to recognize Kaladin immediately and his goal is going to become get rid of this guy because he knows the truth of if that story gets out, that's going to do a lot of damage to my image. Here's a guy I thought I had banished to life as a slave so that no one would ever believe his story. Now he's the head of Dalinar's personal guard. A lot of people are going to believe that guy's story. If Amram does recognize him, which I'm assuming he's going to, he might just be now in the business of trying to take Kaladin out of the equation. I don't know why I hadn't thought of that, but yes. <laughs> I was like, oh no, how is this going to fit Kaladin? But yeah, Amarium, it's almost like a Sadius situation. He's kind of like in a rut at the moment. Like, yes, I saw Dalinar. Like when Sadius was like, I saw Dalinar die. And then Dalinar shows up 
it's like um <laughs> yep what do i do almost to the same extent here um things are gonna get a little sticky in in camp colon here <laughs> for sure i'm super excited to read more we do super. have we do have some interludes coming up though so Oh yes, we get to. I'm we, more excited for this. This is the end of part one. We'll talk about the end of part one here in a second. But we've got some interludes coming up next week, and then into part two the week after that. So, as kind of wrapping up the entirety of part one, any thoughts, gentlemen? You know I do. Paul, do you want to say anything before I talk for probably too long? Uh, I don't have anything too major. Um, I'm super excited going for more of going forward, not in retrospect. Um, I'm super excited to learn more about Shalon's past, um, as well as, as we kind of dive into the realm of Spren and learn more about that. Um, those are the two things I'm most excited about. Uh, but you can take it away on the retrospect, Elliot. All right. I gotta say the end of part one snuck up on me here. I I, I turned the page after chapter twelve and, and couldn't believe that that was the end of of part one. That went super fast. I I think Wave Kings had an equally short part one, so maybe I should have mm -hmm. expected that. But I, I I was just completely caught off guard. Like, wait, that was it? That that was all part one? But I, I guess it makes sense. We're I, we're four episodes now into 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 Words of Radiance, so. I guess that that brings us to the end of part one. So I, I had to I had to go back and, and study a bit and, and figure out what I thought the the theme for for part one was. And it didn't actually take me too long before I think I settled on the theme for part one being change. We we see this primarily in Shalon's story, which makes sense. It's it's Shalon's book. Shalon is dealing with a lot of new changes. Her first off, all her family problems seem like they're solved. Then she learns that she has a little spren companion named Pattern. She learns she has these new abilities. She kind of knew she could soul cast before. Now she learns that she can create light or create illusions and images. She gets engaged. That's a pretty big change. Yep. She then her mentor, who's been teaching her all of this, dies completely out of the out of the blue, and she has to strike on her out on on her own and, and figure out how to do all of this out her, her, out of the blue. It, mm, in in the middle of the ocean, man. You really had to too soon. Yeah, had to do it to him. Yep. On top of all of this, all this change, she's dealing with trying to figure out how to make Spren change. We have the scene we just talked about with the stick and her trying to figure out how to change these Spren or convince them how to to change. And so that seems to be what Shalon is dealing with most right now. But then when you look at the Kaladin and Dalinar storylines, they're dealing with change as well. Kaladin and his bridgemen are having to go from being bridgemen and the fight to survive that that is to being soldiers and realize that we have a purpose. We're part of a bigger entity here now. We have to behave like that. We have to understand where we fit into this, this larger machine. It's no longer about each other. Now it's about... We, we have to do a job. We have to protect Dalinar. We have to learn what we're capable of and how do we do that. Dalinar himself is, is having to deal with change. He no longer has a shard shard blade. He no longer has his shard plate. He gave his shard plate to Renarin, right? He doesn't have that anymore? Correct. 
Okay. So he's, so that's a huge change for him. That's, that's been a huge part of who he is up until now. And so he's having to learn how to deal with people diplomatically instead of just bashing them over the head and telling them you have to do this. And he doesn't seem to be taking that change super well, but he's, he's trying at least. So we've seen, we've seen a lot of change. We've seen a lot of new circumstances for a lot of our, a lot of our characters to start here, which I think maybe sets the, sets the scene probably pretty well for the rest of this book. Now that we've, now we've got our characters headed on new trajectories, how are they going to handle those? What's going to happen to them now that they've pivoted and struck out on, on new journeys. So makes a lot of sense for the start of a, of a second book, I think. Cool. Any closing thoughts for episode 26 going into these, these interludes? Paul, do you think we're going to see Ishik again? This is the first set of interludes. He was in the first set of interludes for Wave Kings. True. I don't think I, I'm. I'm under the impression that each interlude will be different. I don't think it's going to start repeating the interludes. Like we're going to see the same characters in the respective interludes as last time. We probably will see some of the same characters, um, like Zeth, of course. But I mean, that was a given. Okay. I'm assuming. Um, I don't think we're going to see, like, like Ishik, Nonbalat, Zeth, and then, like, the the same ones for Part 2 and stuff like that. Right. Um, I'm expecting entirely new interludes. But, yeah. I'm, I'm excited for interludes. I like them. I like learning. That you get a lot of world-building kind of stuff in them, so I'm curious to see where else in Roshar... We, we talked a, a while back now, several episodes, that we've seen quite a bit of Roshar now. We, we've at least seen a scene in, in most of the areas of Roshar, but not quite all. So I'm I'm hoping we'll get to see maybe some new areas, maybe a few of the areas we haven't been to yet, which will be cool. But at the same time, part of me really doesn't want to pause for interludes right now. I want to know what's coming next. I want to know where where we're going with this how kaladin's gonna deal with amaram being back in the camp how shallan is shallan gonna make it to the shattered plains i'm assuming she's gonna but last time when i was joking that she wasn't gonna make it she then proceeded to not make it so is shallan even gonna make it to the shattered plains this time i i want to know all those things and knowing we're gonna have to pause for a bunch of interludes is it's exciting but frustrating sure all right the only way to find out is read and find out so we can we can call it here and reconvene next week thanks for joining me paul and elliot indeed of course